Now let us turn our Bibles to First Peter. We continue in First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. Now in chapter four, God uses the apostle Peter to help the believers walk as strangers and pilgrims on earth. We must remember that the Apostle Peter was focusing on the Christian's temporary life on earth. If you look at chapter 2, so let us do a quick revision. We do not want to lose ourselves in where we are in scriptures. Now we reminded in verse chapter 2, verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. And then he launches forth in a whole series of how the stranger and pilgrim ought to live on earth. Right? So strangers and pilgrims we are. Here are God's word on how to live on earth. I started off by asking ourselves, as strangers and pilgrims on earth, when we face life's trials, when we face great losses in life, when we face um, fearful uncertainty after receiving certain news in life, what would be on your mind? What would be in your thoughts? Now, typically for most people, it will be panic, it will be fear, and then we fail as strangers and pilgrims. So here, the apostle Peter in chapter 4, in the initial part we studied previously, warned them that one of the problems that they will face is as they obey God's word, they are Christians following the Lord Jesus Christ, a very new religion in the eyes of the world. And they will see these Christians live in ways that they are so unaccustomed to, to the point where they will even feel that the Christians are sabotaging them. The Christians are um, being critical of them when they do not attend certain parties, when they, when they do not um, live the way the public do. They will feel that these Christians are trying to point out that they are so much more um, holy than them. They will suffer when they change their lives, just like many of you. When you first became a Christian, you stopped many of the activities that you used to run with your friends with. And they cannot understand. They may, they may even begin to say, to speak evil of you. Now, when all these things happen, and on top of that, you face this problem of if you become a Christian, we will throw you out of the home. We will fire you from your jobs. We will do everything that we can to cause you to denounce this religion. So on top of being speak, spoken evil of, misunderstood, also suffering losses. How should the Christian think? Because it's no different for you today. Just like you try to obey God, 
Your friends mock you, right? Just like you avoid certain activities at work, place, now. Do not participate in certain things. Just like you make certain decisions for your children in school. Not to be part of certain activities. You face trouble. Where does your heart and mind go to? Now, those of you who have not picked up a uh, question sheet, please do so at the back of the church to help you follow along the lesson. Now, look at question one. How does God stir us up to persevere as strangers and pilgrims in 1 Peter 4, 7? Let's read 1 Peter 4, 7 together. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. After telling them how they would be persecuted, spoken evil of, after telling them, do not give up, continue to walk. Look at verse 6, continue to walk according to God. The last series, the last message was living according to God. What God tells you to do, you just live according to that. Do not worry about what they say. Do not worry about what they would do and threaten to do to you. But God knows that at a certain point of time, we may be tempted to not live according to God in the, in the spirit. We may be tempted to give in. We may lose bearing. Here in verse 7, Peter says, but, but, yes, when you are living according to God, you may feel that there is no light at the end of the tunnel. It's so difficult, day in, day out, fighting against the world. Your children come back from school and they say, Mommy and Daddy, my friends, does that, my friends, they participate in, they have this, they have that, they play with this, they watch that. You are constantly battling, not only for yourself, but for your family. You wonder, when will this end? It's such a long way. Maybe those of you at work, maybe you are also going through difficulties in walking the straight and narrow path, in not cheating, in not lying, in be, and just be honest. Maybe some of you are suffering, maybe health, problems, financial problems, right? All sorts of difficulties. Where will it end? So Peter, used by God, says, but, but. <coughs> just when you think it is so difficult, just when you feel like just compromising, this word but must ring in your ears. But all, but the end of all things is at hand. There is light at the end of the tunnel. These things on earth, everything that you see and you face on earth, both things that are good or evil, your job, your struggles, God says the end of all things is at hand. It is near. It is near. How does God stir us up to persevere as strangers and pilgrims? By reminding us that all things that we go through in life is very temporal, is very short in time frame compared to eternity. That is how 
we persevere. You see, when people speak evil of you, when they mock you, when they make life difficult for you, the very thought that this is but a short time on earth as strangers and pilgrims will help you to carry on. To just remember, compared to eternity, this is nothing. Now, Peter is just reiterating, giving practical example of what he spoke about earlier on. If you turn to chapter 1, chapter 1, chapter 1. Now, let us read verses 22 to 25. Chapter 1, 22 to 25, reading. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of men as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now here, Peter has already alluded to the fact that, well, all flesh is as grass. Your life on earth is just like grass. And the glory of men is a flower of grass. Flower falleth away and withereth. You see, whatever it is in life, when it is compared to eternity, it is very short. And everything that you see, they will just be gone one day. You see, for the Christians who were severely persecuted at this time, who may want to give in and who may look around and say, look at their lives, they, their lives are so much easier than ours. I go to study, I go to work, and I still have to um, make sure that I don't fall into sin. They just live care carelessly. Do whatever they want, whenever they want. They have so much that is so attractive. Peter said, all flesh is as grass, life is short. The glory of men as the flower of grass, they will wither. They are nothing. One day, all these things will not count anymore. Because when they look at their suffering, when they look at their lives, when they look at how little they have compared to those who just live in sin and take whatever job and do whatever, they wish the unbelievers. They find, they find that, well, maybe, maybe I don't need to walk in the straight and narrow path and have them mock me, maybe I can just live for these things a little bit, a little bit. But God says, you know your persecution, your trials, your difficulties, and when you stay faithful, that will last. Your rewards are in heaven. The glory of God is upon you. That is what will last. That is what matters in life. Not that temporal enjoyment of sin and compromise for a moment on earth. You see, God has to help them see in comparison, in comparison to eternity, 
everything on earth, whatever man work for, whatever man can achieve and have on earth, look at verse chapter 4, verse 7, will end, will end, will end, will no longer be important. All the purposes of the great kingdoms on earth, Nero's plan for Rome, Caesar's desire to conquer empires, build empires. He said, all those things that you see that the Romans have and live for, they will end. They will end. All your purposes on earth, my friends, must be seen in the light of this. Otherwise, if not, you will. You will compromise. You will feel that there is no need to attend churches like ours. So serious. Come for Bible studies. Come for prayer meetings. Take FEBC courses. Serve, even though you're already so busy in your personal life. There is no point and no need to have the things of this world is better. To fulfill my purpose, my aims, my objectives on earth is better. So God says, but, 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 you must contrast eternity and what you're going through now and see it in that light. But, when? See, when, Lord, when? How long is this tunnel? Well, God says, verse 7, is at hand. Is at hand means it is near. It is near. Now, these people, they, are, they have been going through great persecutions. There are things taken away from them. Some of them, limbs taken away from them. They may feel that this is, this is endless. At hand, again, is to remind them. Now, is this about Christ's coming? Christ is coming soon. It could be. But you say, but even for our times, Christ is not back yet. Well, you see, for the Christian's thinking, it should be that even if Christ returns generations later, not in my generation, it is still at hand. It is still very short because compared to eternity, even if Christ comes back 100 years later, in the eyes of the apostles, it is just at hand. It is so short, it's nothing compared to eternity. So the Christian must think like that. But of course, from the signs that we see that are given, don't be surprised Is Christ's return is in our generation. Because the signs are so clear. You see, Peter knows the signs. Peter heard the Lord Jesus when he spoke the words in Matthew 7 and Matthew 24. He heard what the Lord said about the end times just before he returns. I don't think Peter here is really referring to the Lord's coming because those signs were not as severe as now. In the light of what he has been talking about thus far, Peter is simply saying, 
I believe your life, whatever, however difficult it is, it will end one day. How soon will it end? For some, it may be tomorrow. You may be just captured, taken alive, and then burnt at the stake and used as a street lamb by the Romans. To some at hand could be tomorrow. To some at hand could be, well, they are already suffering greatly. They may die of some injuries they've had because of the persecution. Maybe at hand soon. To those that are healthy at hand, they must also remember their life on earth is very short. It will end. It will end. And if it ends by persecution and death, then it is their glory. It is their privilege. Look at things in this light. That is how the Christian must view things. If you don't, you will give up in bringing up godly seed. Because bringing up godly seed for God is very difficult. Some of you knows that, right? You know how difficult it is in these end times. Not only you struggle against people criticizing how you bring up your children, your children hear things in a very wicked world and they come back and they struggle against you when you teach them the ways of the Lord. It is very difficult. Unless you see that, well, even if I bring up my child and my child, it takes the next 20 years. It is just at hand. Very short. Don't give up. Don't give up. In other words, the Christians, the strangers and pilgrims view perspective of sufferings on earth, walking rightly for God, must be seen as something very short. So short that you want to take every opportunity to live it. You see, when Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand, he's not simply saying, well, tolerate it, tolerate it, tolerate it. Now look at verse 6. He said that the gospel preached also to them that are dead and they might be judged according to men in the flesh but live according to God in the spirit. We learned that Peter said, you know, when you live on earth, just live according to God. Let God be the judge of your life. They will judge how you live. The world will judge how you live. God, he says, ignore that. You live according to how God wants you to live. Then he says, but the end of all things is at hand. Peter is not only what, trying to tell them life is short, but he is also saying, you know, your, the opportunities for you to live rightly is also short. It will come to an end one day. Your service to God, you come home, you're tired, and every time you feel like, maybe I should tell pastor, I don't do surf anymore. Maybe I, I should just relax a bit in how I bring up my children for the Lord. Maybe I should just relax a bit at work and, you know, be part of the crowd in their parties and their, their um, carnal um, engagements and their way of making money that is not honest. Now, Peter said, but the end of all things is at hand. You know, the opportunities for you to live according to God will also come to an end one day. Then you begin to think, only 20 years? Only 20 years to do this for God in my child's life? So short compared to eternity. 
only this life, only one life to live according to God, only one life, it will come to an end. And the end is at hand. It will come to an end very soon. I do not want to waste it. You see, when Peter says this, he is both encouraging them to, to see beyond and also to live to the maximum of everything that they can do for God. Every time they can take a stand for God, they will see this will also come to an end one day. You see, when they hold a knife to their throat and threaten them and say, denounce Christ, when they remember, but the end of all things at hand, the person will, must remember, this is my chance to be faithful to my Savior. When my life ends, there is no more chance. I'll be in heaven, permanently in heaven. The time, my friends, to prove your love to Christ will also come to an end very quickly, very shortly. Question number two. Now, what do we do when we know that the end is near? What do we do when we know that the end is near? Now, let me ask you, if I were to ask, now, if Christ, oh, not Christ. All right, let's say, for example, if the doctor tells you, you have only three more months to live, what, is, what will be the very first thoughts that will come to your mind? What will be the things that you would desire to do, knowing that the end is at hand? What do we do when we know the end is near? Well, for some, sometimes at funeral, after we bury the brethren, well, some relatives will say things like, well, you know, life is short. I say, indeed it is. You know, when we eat, we can eat while we can eat, while we can drink, while we still can travel. We must do that. That is what some think about when we think the end is at hand. To some, the end is at hand. We will feel that, well, you know, all the things that I have not done, as in enjoyment of self and the world, I must now make sure that I live to the maximum in those areas. Now, God knows, God knows that that can be our tendency. That can be our tendency. Very often for the seniors, especially as we grow older, as people grow older, well, they feel, well, I want to spend more time with my grandchildren. That is not evil. But is that all? Well, look at verse 7. Now, God says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore, therefore, therefore is now telling us what you should do. Since the end is at hand, and there are very few opportunities to live for Christ, it will come to an end as well. Therefore, be sober, number one. And number two, and watch unto prayer. Two things. When we know 
that life is short. When we know opportunities to live for Christ will also come to end one day. Two things. Be sober and watch unto prayer. Now, both these verbs, be sober, be therefore sober, be sober and watch, watch. They are in the imperative, means they are commandments. They are commands that God gives to us. But these commands are not so much, well, you know, uh, God command me to do this. But these commands are to help you as strangers and pilgrims. You know, parents, sometimes you have to give commands to your children, not because you're demanding and controlling. You give commands to your children because you know that if they do those things, it will help them tremendously in life. So you give commands. This are that command, those commands. Be sober, therefore be sober, and watch unto prayer. Two things. Alright, so no longer. Wow, you know, life is short. Seriously. While I can walk, while I my, I don't need to do a knee replacement, while I do not need to go for uh, op- eye operation and not let me enjoy life to the maximum. Then you see another Christian. Wow, they're old, you know. Then they cannot walk already. Then they can't eat this. They can't eat that. They can go. They can't go here. They can't go there. Oh, I better really enjoy my life now. No longer those thoughts for the strangers and pilgrims. Two things to do: be sober and watch onto prayer. Now then, the question is. Well, well, that first, well, we continue in question number three. Now, how should we view life? Actually, that should be question number two, but please um, humor me. Now, um, how should we view life if we see it in view of how temporal all things are? Well, firstly, the loss of all things for the sake of Christ should mean very little to you and I. These Christians, to be a Christian, they lose properties, they lose limbs, they lose family members, they lose friendships, they lose finances, they lose life. When God says, the end of all things is at hand, is to say, you will come to heaven when the end comes. It's the end of your life or Christ's return. Whichever is the end, you will come home to me. Then you must always remember, whatever that I lose now, I must think in terms of the eternal implications. Always think like that. So here, Peter earlier reminded them that all the glory of men is as grass, the life of men is as grass, withers and all that. Now he brings it to bear and say, well, you will go to be the Lord one day. So what if you lose the admiration of men, if you lose your job, if you lose your popularity, finances, so what? Number two, Now, when we view things in view of eternity, it does something. It does something to your character. 
It does something to your character. It solidifies your character. You will no longer be someone that pursue the things of the world like people of the world. You will, you will really live according to God. Not according to this world, not according to men anymore. Your character will change when you view things as very temporal on earth. You know, there are some times when you look at some, some articles that people write and the way your colleagues talk at work, they talk with so much greed and like as if, you know, owning something, whatever it is in life, is like the epitome, the, the, the pinnacle of life. You know, when I was um, on the flight, they have magazines, right? Online magazines also. And as I browse through what magazines the world promote, you're, you're on the plane, you have limited time, they choose the magazines that people of the world want to read. Now, many of them have to do with, well, fashion, well, all the gadgets, cars, houses, holidays. Now, that is what the world grovels after. They work very hard. They yearn for these things. They give anything to have those things. And when they have those things, well, some of the titles of the magazine is, basically reflects, you know, is if you have these things, you have arrived in life. That is what defines them. But you see, when the Christian view things in the light of eternity, your character changes. These things mean nothing to you. You hear your, your friend's children in this school, in that program, when they graduated are this, in this profession and that profession. Now, I'm not saying these things by themselves. If they're not, if they're not sinful things, are sinful. They are not. But see, the character of the world, the worldling, is this is what defines them. But for the Christian, no. These people are looked down upon. They're the scum of the earth. They are laughed at as following a carpenter's son, a man who was crucified as a criminal, as their God. They fo you follow this man as your God. The Christians were defined by that. That's why they were spoken evil of, they were mocked. But their character was different. You see, they see things so clearly. It doesn't affect, it doesn't change them. It doesn't cause them to say, quite embarrassing to be a Christian. True, true, true. It's quite embarrassing. I think I will not follow Christ so closely. Your character will change. How should we view life? All right, how should we view life? Remember that this present state that you are in, if you have a good life, if you have a good life, Still remember, all these things are temporal. Don't let them lead you to the ways of the world. Because all things are, were, are at hand. They will end. Look at them. Hold, to the, hold on to them very loosely. As strangers and pilgrims on earth, everything that you possess, hold on to them very loosely. Use them for God. Because you know that is the only way that when all things end, what you have done for Christ 
will not end. But if your life is filled with sorrow, afflictions, persecutions, difficulties, challenges, as you walk for Christ, well, also view all things in the light of how temporal the suffering will be. They will all come to an end one day. They will be gone one day. And you will be with your Saviour, seeing His smile, a permanent record that you did not fail Christ. Right? View all these things as very short. They will come to an end. That is the point. Now, but here, Peter gives, by the moving of the Holy Spirit, two things that will help you be like that. Because, like I started asking you in the beginning, uh, when you face challenges as a Christian, difficulties, an uphill task, the tendency is to say, just give up, just give in, just relax a little bit. Don't have to be so serious in my Christian walk. Just when you are feeling like that, God says, be sober and watch on to prayer. Resist that natural instinct, that natural human flesh desire to just throw in the towel. Instead, be sober. Now then, of course, the question is this. Question number five, what does it mean to be sober? All right, what does it mean to be sober? Well, question number four is just the two commandments given. I've mentioned that, verse five. Question number five. Now, to be sober means to be serious. To be serious. To be sane, S-A-N-E. To be sane. To be sound, S-O-U-N-D. And to have self-control. This Greek word is very rich in meaning. It's a word that you often see in scriptures. So you must understand this word. Very often God uses this word to remind the Christian about our life on earth. Be sober, be sober. The Apostle Paul uses this word frequently for the Christian. So we must understand what it means. Now Paul, God, Peter says, or rather God says, when you go through all this, when you want to give up, or when you're going through life and you're enjoying life and things are good, remember things are still short-lived. Be serious. Now what is this about being serious? See, the Christian, when we go through difficulties, now some will just choose to ignore and just say, ah, just, just, just have fun, forget it, just have fun, just relax, just enjoy life. But God tells them, but do the opposite. Instead of giving in, be even more serious about your Christian walk. You have been living according to God in the Spirit, and life becomes very difficult. 
He said, don't take the opposite, don't, don't take the easy way out. Instead, be even more serious about your walk. Be very serious means think carefully. Think carefully, think seriously about your Christian walk. It leads to the word sane, all right, sane. To be in the right mind, in other words. Now, when you think seriously about, well, life is actually very short. It's true compared to eternity. When you think seriously about, well, I am called to live according to God, not according to the world, then God also says, no, have the right mind, have the right perspective. We must look at what the world desires and want while they live a very relaxed, carefree life, enjoying and doing whatever they want to do, whether it's sinful or not, they just live it. Now, to be sane is to think that they are insane. What do I mean by that? To think that they are insane, that they would rather have these things in life and then live eternity in hell. That is insane. That is crazy. When all things, the end of all things, will come at hand in time. Even for them, even if they don't see the return of Christ, they will still die. Whether it's of illness, whether it's of natural old age, they will still die. So the Christian must actually realize when they call you crazy, right? Chapter, chapter 4, verse 4, they speak evil of you. One of the things they will call you is you're crazy. Why do you live like that? Why don't you let your child do this, do that? Why don't you do this or do that? You're crazy to be so serious. The Christian must always be sober and realize, I am not crazy. I am not foolish when I make this choice to do this or not to do that. Be sane, all right? Have a right thinking. Be sound. So when God says, be sober, He's talking about soundness of thinking, rational. Rational. You know, this word is often also used with drunkenness. All right? Be sober. means don't be drunk with alcohol. The moment a person takes a little bit of alcohol, just a tiny bit, it affects your soundness of judgment. Well, you say because you're for, you believe in total abstinence, you say that. Unbelievers say that. Governments say that. Companies, commercial companies say that. You say, how so, pastor? Prove to me. Transport companies do not allow their drivers to have anything above 0.000000% of alcohol in their blood. 
people who operate heavy machinery, the same. It's total soberness. Airline pilots, it's the same. Lives are at hand. Because even the world medically recognizes an iota, just a small drop, a tiny drop, drop of alcohol will impair judgment. Medically, that is the case. Why do you think they impose that? Of course, for them, you think they really care for life? They will get sued. That's why they impose those things. So often it is used with soundness of judgment. Be sober. In other words, the Christian must always be so clear-minded. When you face a choice in life, as a stranger and pilgrim on earth, you must make such sound judgment, choices, decision for yourself, for your family, for your child, for your spouse. When, when God says, when you face this panic of persecution, your boss comes into the room screaming at you, I want you to doctor the books or I'll fire you. And then you think your child is sick in hospital. Hospital bills are piling up. You're in panic. But God says, as a stranger and pilgrim, just like when they walk into the house and say, if you don't deny Christ now, I will kill your baby right in front of you. What did God say? Panic. As strangers and pilgrims, they suffer because they, are, they live as strangers and pilgrims. God says, be sober. Think soundly. Make biblically sound decisions. Because in the midst of panic, in the midst of fear, in the midst of um, feeling helpless, you may make wrong decisions. Of course, the only way you can be sober, in other words, be sound in your judgment, is you've got to know God's word. You've got to know God's word. The strangers and pilgrims on earth that do not know God's word, that do not constantly study, that do not make use of every opportunity that God gives to you at home, in church, in private, will struggle with soberness. Don't think that just because you don't drink alcohol, you are sober. Because sober means a lot more than that. You can have all the Word of God as a Christian in your mind, but as long as, well, you take alcoholic beverages, you are going to make wrong decisions for your family, for yourself. So, having the Word is crucial. Soundness of mind. But also, soundness of mind is no use. Soundness of judgment is no use if you don't have the last part, which is to exercise self-control. Because you may see they are really crazy to pursue these things and would give up their walk with God for these things compared to eternity. They are crazy. You may even know what is right and what is wrong. Have you not come across many Christians that are like that? But when the temptation comes, 
They are, they, well, they seriously know what is right. They are saying they, are, they, they know what is the sound judgment, sound choice, but they don't exercise self-control. So when God says, be sober, it's having known all these things, then obey. Then restrain yourself. Restrain yourself from compromising. Restrain yourself from pursuing that. Restrain yourself from sinning. So this word sober is very rich in meaning. You've got to curb your passion. How many Christians know that it is wrong to commit adultery? Very clear in their minds. Know that these things damage family. Insane to fall into such sin. But will not exercise self-control. And of course, many other sins, all right, included. How many knows? It's insane to embezzle money from the company, from your school, from wherever you are placed. Everyone knows that. Even unbelievers know that. But yet, you don't exercise self-control. No matter how much you know of God's word, you will still sin. So God says, in the midst of panic, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of helplessness, fear, God says, be sober. Be sober. Question number six. Another question is, why is soberness important? Well, I know. All right, be sober. Why is it important? Why is it important? Now, Satan takes advantage of your lack of soberness. When you do not exercise seriousness in your Christian walk, when you don't think sanely, soundly, and you just live as you wish, don't exercise self-control. You know what is right, but maybe later, or maybe don't care about this. Maybe in this area, I just don't obey, all right? Is it, is it all right, God? Satan will make full use of that aspect in your life and cause you to fall. You must realize when God says, be sober, you must realize, for example, total abstinence is God's way of protecting you from that one moment in life that you can make that decision because of lack of soberness or lack of self-control, lack of seriousness of thinking, just one decision can change your life radically forever on earth. Why is soberness so important? Because of that. When God, says here, when God gives the command, be sober, He is not just asking us to perform a duty. He is telling us of the danger, my friend, that if we are not sober, constantly very serious. Now, if you are someone who takes temptation lightly, flirts with temptation, don't take it seriously. You feel that, well, you know, when it gets serious, I, I know what to do. 
Many are like that. That is how they end up in an equal yoke. You better be very serious. Satan takes advantage, and one sin will lead to another if you are not sober, if you are not serious about your Christian work, if you are not very serious about separating yourself from sin, if you're not serious about not compromising, it will slowly lead to another sin, another compromise. How serious? Ah, don't be so serious in our Christian walk. Our church is too serious. Many who say those words in many churches that I've been to, they're often their famous last words, no longer with the church. You go to their Facebooks, you can't tell the difference between them and the unbelievers anymore. In the way they dress, in the things that they post, in the things that they pursue. So God says, you better be serious. Satan as a roaring lion is always seeking whom he may devour. You take one thing lightly and and joke about it. I've seen Christians joke about other Christians who are serious in their walk. Well, very soon, Satan will find their opening and devour them. God's word is not said in vain, all right? So seriousness is a protection from frivolity, and vanity of life. That is what it is meant to do. Don't look at the things of the world and lust after them and desire them and, and go, go pursue them and think it is nothing. Do not fall into that foolishness because it is contrary to the word be sober. Contrary, opposite to it. A lightness, taking, taking sin and, and a pursuit of temptations lightly is the opposite of be sober. All right. So give examples of being watchful in my life. Think of at work. Think of you at work. Have there been things that, well, you just don't want to think about it. You don't want to, see it. Don't, don't want to be serious about it. It could be certain gatherings that you have been part of. I'm not saying don't go out with your colleagues. I'm not saying that you cannot be part of any company activities. It could be some things that your children are part of. Uh, you know, it's just too, too painful to, to handle and manage all this all the time. Yes, it will be all the time because the world is constantly trying to get your child to sin, get your family to sin. That is the plan of the world driven by Satan. When you face all this, when you start work, when you start your job, some of you are just new in your jobs. You must take the start of your job and walking right with God very seriously. How you start is very important. Of course, we always say how you end is even more important the best is start well and end well. Not end well, start badly. Family decisions. 
that will result in more stress, difficulties, financial losses. Because you have to take certain stand eh, to live rightly. Now, all these are going to be a test of your soberness, my friends. Right, then we move. We move. What does it mean to watch onto prayer? Now, the next thing, all right, to watch onto prayer. Hey, by the way, um, this, this other thing about be sober. Now, this word is also used for self-control, right? I mentioned it's also often used for being temperate. All right, being temperate, um, self-control. Now, it also means this. Even in things that are not sinful, God says be sober, be temperate about it. Do not just think, well, this thing is not sinful. Well, eating is not sinful. Holidays are not sinful. Um, um, watching documentaries are not sinful. Uh, um, buying certain things are not sinful. But God, when God says be sober, it includes exercise, self-control, means be temperate. Do not let anything, as a stranger and pilgrim on earth, do not let anything have any opportunity to slowly take control of you. I say that again. Do not, as a stranger and pilgrim on earth, let anything that may not be sinful even, have the opportunity to take control of you. Like games, sports. Is it sinful to exercise? No. But be very temperate. Don't be someone who, if you begin to feel that this, this thing is becoming something that you are quite obsessed with. God says be sober. Because Satan will use that. Will use that. To lead you further and further down. And eventually, it will take control of your life. Alright? There are many addictions today for the Christian. As strangers and pilgrims, please be very careful of them. Many seemingly um, innocent activities, be very careful of them. It can be as simple as eating and drinking. Has it become something that you're no longer sober about? You will go to any extent spend however much time to eat something, all right? When you're on holidays, that's your key obsession. Has it become something that you're not sober about, right? All right, we move. Now, what does it mean then to watch onto prayer? So the second thing, watch onto prayer. Please note, God does not say, be sober and pray, but he adds a verb to this pray, which is watch. And this watch is a different word from what we normally understand. You remember we studied at the church camp, watch, as in um, Gregory, all right? Watch. 
Now, this watch has to do with being circumspect, right? Being aware. So, God did not say just pray, but God says be aware of prayer. Of course, then to pray, right? Now, it is a very, again, a conscious, a very conscious control and action, all right? So, God does not say, go pray. God says, be sober, but He said, now, when it comes to prayer, I want you to watch unto prayer. Be conscious about it, be aware about it, and actually control yourself. Control yourself, not as in reduce, all right? But make yourself do it, all right? Control yourself to move away from things that will draw you away from prayer. I want you to watch onto prayer. Now, example is the Lord. Did the Lord pray much? Yes. The Lord's watching onto prayer was like that. Remember very often when he was very busy, very bogged down, the crowds thronging around him. What was our Lord's consciousness? He was not serving. Well, he did do a lot of things, but he was always conscious to break away to pray. He watched onto prayer. This was a perfect example, of course. Always conscious. And when at the end of that very tiring and busy day, was he watching on to rest? Oh, I should rest now. It's a long day with these people. They really bogged me down. No, he watched on to pray. He would purposely retire himself to the wilderness to pray. He watched on to pray. He made intentional, conscious, plan. And then action to pray. This is what God is saying. As strangers and pilgrims on earth, this is what we must do. Prayer must be a very conscious activity and a very important part of our lives. When Christ had to choose the apostles, what did he do? The record was he prayed overnight. Any decisions, key decisions in life, as a stranger and pilgrim. Oh no, this problem. Oh no, that persecution. Oh no, this loss. Oh no, that loss. Oh no, this bad news. What to do? Panic? No. Consciousness, I must go and pray. The Lord in His great decision as God who knew all hearts, who knew all things, He prayed. He went to pray overnight. Whenever you are stretched, that is the time you must pray. That is the strangers and pilgrims life. Tiring, busy, troubled, full of cares, full of fear. Watch this one activity that you must have in life. So it is like the apostles he said they, they, they appointed deacons so that they can give themselves onto prayer and the word. It's not just give themselves to study the word and teach 
any of you who is a Sunday school teacher, facilitator, handling the Word of God in one way or another, prayer is the most important part. It is not just the Word. When you say, do your quiet time, as strangers and pilgrims, it is not just, I've read the Bible, I've studied and done my FEBC exams, I'm studying the Word very hard. That is only part of your, your devotion. All right? So it's a quiet time. It's always prayer and the Word. Prayer and the Word. Because without prayer, no matter how much Word you have, you do not have the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Without prayer, you will not have soundness to use the Word of God to make decisions. It's very crucial as a stranger and pilgrim on earth, a key activity. So you can be very serious and all that, but if you do not watch unto prayer, you will fall for sure. So if you are a mother teaching your child the Word of God at home, you must know. It's not just I've studied this very well in FEBC, I've prepared it very well, I'm going to teach my child when they come back from school in the afternoon. Prayer, prayer is crucial. Now, but this, God did not say, and, and pray. Well, people can go and say prayers. But watch unto prayer. Now, what is this prayer? The Bible has the Greek word, there is many different Greek words for pray. In English, we, we just say pray, all right? Prayer. Different words for different aspects of prayer. This particular one is a general overall description of all forms of prayer. Remember that. Because in the Bible, there is a word for prayer that is asking things from God, making requests. Another one, praying for other people. All right, sometimes translated as supplication. Another one, it can be um, um, worshipful prayer. All right? So different words, but this one is simply the one that says, when the Lord says, when ye enter into your closet and pray. The Lord's prayer covers everything. So is that everything in prayer? So it is not just saying, well, God says, well, you know, you're stranger and pilgrim, you're facing trouble, facing temptation, you're afraid you fall, go pray. No, this is not just saying prayers, all right? This is every aspect of prayer involved means confession of sin. So the Christian must know, as a stranger and pilgrim on earth, I must constantly search my heart. Do you have that habit as a stranger and pilgrim on earth? Because if you don't, you won't have soundness of thinking. You will just do things in life, live life and enjoy things in life, but you must always pray, Lord, keep me sensitive. Lord, search my heart. Are there things in my life that I'm doing, that I'm pursuing, that I'm engrossed with? that have not been sober about, God will show. God will surely show. So there is this search of hearts. It's not saying prayers. Every aspect. That is not just asking for things. Well, I'm in trouble, Lord, help me, help me. I'm a stranger and pilgrim. My friends, they are mocking me. Life is difficult. Lord, I can get fired. Lord, please help me with this, help me with that, help me with this. I'm graduating. Give me a job, God. 
help me with my PR application. Well, you include those, but remember, it is watch onto prayer. Now, it means you must also ask yourself, why is it not just prayer, but watch onto prayer? Watch what you pray. Watch why are you praying what you are praying. Don't just go to God and blurt it and say, God, I'm a stranger and pilgrim, you know. God, I've been trying to obey you. Can you please give me a job? Can you please give me this, give me that, give me this? Please heal my child. Please help my child pass the exam. Please, 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 please. But watch onto prayer has this reminder. Are you praying according to the will of God? Are you praying for the purposes of the kingdom of God in what you're asking for? Maybe I give three things. Number one, well, first and foremost, this prayer, right? This word prayer is a description of a communion with God, an encounter of the child of God with his heavenly Father. So it includes thanksgiving. It includes worshipful prayer. It includes praying for others. It includes praying for the church, the kingdom of God, other churches. It includes praises to God. You see, when a stranger and pilgrim is going through trials, the typical prayer is, God deliver me. God help me. I have this illness. I have this loss. That is the typical response in prayer. So God says, watch onto prayer. Have the whole gamut as a stranger and pilgrim. The whole gamut of prayer from confession, thanksgiving, praises, supplications, petitions, the whole gamut. That is what our prayer life must be. That's why it's called watch onto prayer. So let me give you three things as I... Try to explain why these words are put together. Watch unto prayer. Number one means be aware of who you are approaching. That's why it's called watch unto prayer. Not rush into prayer. Watch. You see, these people, they see Nero. They see the Caesars. They see the Roman soldiers. So powerful. As if they're in control of their life. Life and death is in their hands. But I say, no, as strangers and pilgrims, the end of all things are at hand. Now watch unto prayer. Just like you look at all these powerful Romans who seem to be in control of your life and death, know that you come before the God. God is really the one who is in control of life and death. That is why the strangers and pilgrims who watch unto prayer will live a very calm life. They will not panic and fear and compromise because they will really watch and know who I am coming before. I am so careful when I'm called before Nero. I'm so careful when the Roman soldiers walk into my house and question me. I must approach God with greater watchfulness. So the Christian who are in panic, who would go to God with the right view of God, 
who he is, will continue to worship in prayer, praise in prayer, thank in prayer, and not just ask, 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 ask in prayer. That changes you. Now, please remember, prayer does not change God. Prayer changes you. If you say prayers, it's not going to change you. But if you watch onto prayer, and one of the things is aware of, so aware of who you are coming before in prayer, it changes you. The second thing, be careful of what you pray for. Watch. In other words, why you pray for it, right? I alluded to this just now. Remember the series we did in prayer meeting? You want to be able to watch onto prayer? Make sure that you are watchful of why you're praying certain things at two words. Thomas, what are the two words? So that. So that. Lord, I want to be watchful when I pray. As a stranger and pilgrim and I'm panicking. Add so that. Lord, please deliver me so that. Because once you add so that, you will realize so that I feel no pain. But God, I can't be praying for that only so that I can be a witness. So that. Right? So add so that. And make sure that the statements after that is about God, is about His kingdom, is about His glory, not simply about you, your child. God, please heal my child so that, so that he will grow up, graduate from a good university. Yeah, I can be proud of him and he can make, I can make sure that my old age, in my old age, he'll take care of me. You see, once you add so that, you will be forced to watch onto prayer. Watch what you pray for, why you pray for it. Right? Make sure it's according to the will of God. Now, in the third one, watch onto prayer. Why add watch onto prayer? Just now I mentioned this word watch is a consciousness of every opportunity to pray. The stranger and pilgrim on earth being stressed, being pursued and being stretched in all directions, being, having so much worries in your mind, my job problems, my family, when I get home I still must do family worship and my child is wayward, my, my spouse is... is is ungodly. All these problems that you're facing, you know, it is very easy to do what they say. Why pray when you can worry? You know the difference? Normally, we should say, why worry when you can pray? But the reality of many Christians, strangers, and pilgrims that are struggling, why pray when you can worry? We, we, we are more comfortable in worrying and panicking and trying to find things, to ways to solve things rather than pray. So God says, watch onto prayer is learn to be conscious of the need to pray and therefore always pray. God already said, pray without ceasing. All the time, in your heart, in your mind, when you're going through the trouble, when you're facing difficulties to teach your child, it's so wayward, disobedient or a family matter, or whatever it is. God says, can you always be conscious that you need to be praying instead of panicking, instead of calling people and asking people and talking to people and just doing, 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 doing without praying? Embrace every opportunity. Now, that includes church, coming to church to pray. 
You see, it's easy for them to avoid their prayer meetings because the gatherings to pray can be prime opportunity for them, for the Romans or the, or the Jews to swoop in, capture them and persecute them. Are they going to not gather to pray? The apostles, the early disciples, they locked the room and they gathered and they prayed, didn't they? You see, we do not have this persecution. And I'm very glad many of you come to pray. You are, you are doing exactly what God says. Watch on to prayer. There's an opportunity, opportunity to pray. I embrace it. I'll go to pray for God's kingdom, to pray for God's people, to pray for each other. I'll embrace it. That is part of the strangers and pilgrims' life. But I say again, now, this watch on to prayer is not saying prayers. Please keep remembering that. It's not, well, my child, have you done, your, have you prayed? Then you hear your child say, yeah, I, I prayed for this, for that, for that. Really make sure your child watches onto prayer. It means there is a genuine engagement with God, yourself included. You know, today there are many books written, one minute devotion, all right? 30 seconds on the passage, 30 seconds prayer. And many Christians love all these one-minute thing, one-minute fix or, or short devotion, short prayer. When God says, watch unto prayer, when God says, pray without ceasing, God is not just saying, well, all the time, make sure we are in a prayerful spirit. It includes that. But watch unto prayer means there is this time that the Lord talked about. When ye enter your closet, means there is a set-apart time that you actually use it for watching unto prayer. Strangers and pilgrims, if you do not have such a time, you say, have you done my quiet time? Yes, I've done my quiet time. If quiet time to you means just reading the Bible, even if it means I read the Bible for half an hour and I prayed for five minutes, you have not done your quiet time because the quietness includes your quiet engagement, personal communion with the living God. It includes that. Strangers and pilgrims who do not have that. Before, someone said, a shabby prayer life results in a shabby spiritual life. Very truth, very true. Shabby prayer life, shabby spiritual life. Why is it that many Christians take FEBC courses, attend Bible studies, but still, still weak spiritually? Because of this, failing to watch onto prayer. You see, because the moment you kneel down and you watch, means you pray the whole gamut, the Lord's Prayer. You're conscious, you take your time, you praise. When you praise God, you begin to change because you will begin to see the light of eternity very differently when you see who God is, when you think more about who God is. If you keep praying, God, give me this, God, give me that, the thing that you're asking for becomes very big. Do you understand what I'm saying? God, give me a job. God, I really need a job. God, give me a healthy child. I really need this child to be healthy. That whole thing becomes your God. That thing becomes so important. But when God says watch onto prayer, the meaning is, the, the word prayer is all sorts of prayer. When you Spend time in praise, 
spend time in meditation, in prayer of His greatness, His glory, all of a sudden the things of this world look very different. Soberness comes only through that kind of prayer. You, you cannot, as a stranger and pilgrim, stand firm with God in public life if you don't have a good standing, a firm standing, a genuine communion of praise, adoration, confession, petition, supplication, if you do not have that in private, you will not stand with God in public. That is the truth. Look at our Lord's life. Our Lord valued prayer. Look at Daniel's life. Look at all these great warriors, prayer warriors, their life were like that because their life, their public life, like Martin Luther, he constantly talked about how busy his day is and the kind of battles that he feared that he had to face alone against the whole Roman Catholic Church, alone. They say, if I don't wake up at 3, 4 a.m. every day to pray before I set forth the day, he is so fearful. Now, God, that is what God says as strangers and pilgrims. Do you watch unto prayer? Now, it means this, my friends. Will you and I now include watch unto prayer into our strangers and pilgrims' life? Have you been feeling that your life has been shabby spiritually? You've been compromising, you've been weak spiritually. Maybe you've been sober, you've been studying the word. But is it because we have not watched onto prayer? Now recently I've been reading a book. Very difficult to find good books written, but this was written by Puritan, so generally good, about various well-known Christians and their prayer life. There's something very common about all of them. They watch onto prayer. They get up early or they stay up late. It is not just kneel by the bedside and say a few words. To them, prayer, watch is not prayer, it's watch onto prayer. It's a very real Communion is as real when you read their lives. It's as real as they live with their spouse, talk with their spouse all day long. It is that real. And it's that real that they are, it is so real that they are very uncomfortable if they've not spent hours communing with their God. They are very uncomfortable. They know they will fall. Now, we know very little of this watch on to prayer. Maybe we know prayer. We say prayers. But this whole consciousness, carefulness, awareness, and making every opportunity to pray. And it is so important and so real that that is one thing that we fear. Lack of watching on to prayer is what we fear more than the persecutions of our colleagues, we fear more than losses of anything 
We fear more than our children failing exam. We fear the lack of watch unto prayer more than anything in life. This is what Peter is talking about. I say again, God did not say, be sober in prayer, but watch unto prayer. Will that be our life? We need that as strangers and pilgrims. Do your children see you as that? Do they? As I said before, I always remember a Christian friend of mine said, oh, my dad prays every morning. I said, how do you know? He goes, he goes to work so early. He said, I know because sometimes early in the morning, 3, 4 o'clock, I, I hear him turn on the lights. And by the time I wake up, I always see his chair moved in a certain position. I know that he kneels there to pray. He's not a full-time worker. He's a lay person. Is that what your child knows of you? But it's not about what your child knows of you only. Is that really what we are? What we have in life? We have such a low understanding and idea of prayer that if we have prayed for 10 minutes or 15 minutes in a day, we feel very virtuous. But watch on to prayer is a lot more than that. May God help us to be such strangers and pilgrims on earth. Let us pray.